Hey folks, welcome back to Pretend World's Real People. As always, I'm Tyler, and I'm relishing in daylight savings time. It feels amazing. I got an extra hour of editing done. I took the dog for a walk in shorts. I was wearing shorts, not the dog, just to clear it up. Uh, but it felt great, and it's just, it's really, really comfy. Caught Quantum Cowboys at Denver Film Festival. So much better than on my computer monitor. <laughs> It's it's always better in a theater. So if you are in Denver till the 13th, I believe, go check out Denver Film Festival. Find a film that stands out to you and go show your support because it was uh, it was just an absolute blast. And I can't wait to see what else is showing, which, uh, you know, the whale was showing. I was willing to shell out $80 to go see that, but, you know, it sold out really fast. So uh, uh, I didn't act on that quick enough, but that's okay. That's okay. I hope everybody else is having an amazing day, night, whenever you're listening to this, uh, four in the morning, you know, when you're leaving for work, maybe going on an early hike. I hope you're having a wonderful start, duration, or end of your day. But let's get down to business. What was that? <laughs> God, no coffee, no sugar. It's really doing a number on my brain. Let's get down to business because I want to introduce somebody that I had just a whole lot of fun speaking with. He is a Canadian-based actor, improviser, and writer. I noticed him right when uh, The Strain TV show by Guillermo del Toro and Chuck Hogan was released in 2014. He had one of the best performances I've ever seen within that show. Uh, very monstrous, very terrifying, and he's consistently built his career since then. Uh, just at, at this crazy pace and these wonderful projects. You can catch him now, actually, in Riverdale and Upload Season 2, uh, but he has a lot more coming up that I can't talk about. So let's get uh, let's get right into it, because I'd love for you to meet Mr. Nikolai Witchell. Let's sit down. Let's have a chat with this wonderful, wonderful performer. <laughs> Hi, my name is Nikolai Witchell. Uh, I'm an actor and improviser in Vancouver, BC, Canada. Uh, and I've had a lot of success in the film and TV industry up here after doing a lot of theater in Edmonton, where I'm from originally. Oh, okay. So you, you did start theater first. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It, was that something I've never really done theater personally? So was it something you went in for for the you know, like comedic pieces or were you more of a dramatic performer beforehand? Like how did, how did those balance out? Yeah. I mean, get you an actor who can do both. Right. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I do tend to veer towards comedy. Uh, I did a lot of improv uh, starting in junior high with some of my early drama classes and then uh, with rapid fire theater in Edmonton for seven seasons before moving up to Vancouver and working with uh, instant theater and sin peaks which is a weekly improvised soap opera oh wow a, a, a weekly improvised soap opera now i i have to ask you to elaborate more on that <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah uh it's based on dynasty in edmonton um oh, but man. but essentially uh uh in most improv shows you know you'll go to the audience for suggestions spatula great we'll use spatula for a scene um but with uh, the long form improv soap operas, it's my favorite and I think the easiest form mm. of doing improv because you're playing one character who you get to come up with beforehand in an environment and then a director puts you and other people in that environment in scenes together. And the longer it goes, the more you have to look back on and pull from because you're playing this one character like on and on and on episode by episode by episode in Edmonton. In fact, dynasty does uh, the improvised sopaphone, which <laughs> is uh, up to uh, 53 hours of improv straight. <laughs> what? Yes. Oh I've done, God. I've done a little bit. I've done like eight hour stints, which is still a lot, but there are yeah. people who do the whole thing. Oh my God. I couldn't fathom. Are there, I but I hope there's like breaks or something involved with that, but I couldn't imagine. Yes. Yeah. Every two hours, <laughs> there's a 15 minute break to go back into the back and, you know, have something to drink and splash water on your face and be like, ah, I'm human. Right. <laughs> I can keep doing this. That yeah. that's insane. Well, I, as somebody who 
initially wanted to become a stand-up comic and loved improv and and approaching the uh, the performing arts from from that stance is there something that really drove you to you know dive into the improv you know part of the industry was it just a I mean, were you a comedy fan? Was it something that you just had fun with as an actor to just kind of keep building off of? What What was the uh, origin of inception of that? Uh, at this point, as an actor, my my improv training and my acting training is so interwoven mm. that it's really hard to pull it apart and see what comes from where. But um, I think they do also both come from the same place in uh, first discovering theater and improvisation in a drama class in junior high. Um, you know, having done some Christmas pageants in elementary school, sure. Uh, but uh, to be able to get into a drama class and and learn about improv and learn about theater, I was a very shy kid. And then theater came in and gave me some social systems of like, okay, you're the audience. I'm the actor. You stay down there and watch me. I'm going to come up here and say things and and make believe. And you're going to like just sit there and appreciate that. And all of the dialogue interactions that we have between each other um, is all scripted. I know my lines and then you say your lines. And in learning as a child how to socially work with things uh theater is actually really good in that regard um you know everyone knows that everything is fake when mercutio gets stabbed no one's going to call an ambulance um so it gave me a lot of tools to analyze social structure uh in a safe environment and improv is the same thing just without the script it's the same social rules with a different environmental stimulus. I never thought of it that way, but that makes complete sense, especially from such a young age to, to break that sort of atmosphere down and then correlate that with, you know, day-to-day life. That's just, I don't know. It's really cool seeing that, especially, uh, you know, not being someone who's done this from a younger age as well to, to look at it from that sort of kaleidoscope vision and it was, I mean, was this something that you wanted to do, like you saw it as a career as a child? How how did that sort of <laughs> build into, you know what, I'm going to do this full time, I'm going to jump into it, this is going to be my job? Or did you have, you know, a, a backup career that you wanted to to look at as an adult as you grew older? Certainly the idea of acting being a career is kind of like secondary to the act of acting <laughs> for me. <laughs> Um, it's, it's nice that society has, uh, decided that a group of, uh, empathetic performers is, uh, worthwhile paying, <laughs> which is great. Um, yeah, I think I started it pretty much in the same place. Um, back in those classes in junior high, learning to become a person for me, it came from um also the realization as as a really young kid i wanted to be a paleontologist and hang out with dinosaurs um and then i realized that as a paleontologist mostly you're just hanging out with their bones <laughs> so you know why not take a shot at being in the next jurassic park movie <laughs> and did jurassic park have any influence on your idea of what it meant to be a paleontologist at that time <laughs> Absolutely. An action, an action filled romp. Yeah, of course. Um, and so here comes, you know, acting, which is pretend and imagination, which is something that I, I lived in a lot myself anyways. Uh, and then it's a way to interact with people and learn how and literally practice and rehearse how to talk to people and even though that's my in for loving this, uh, I recognize that it's not everyone's. And you've been talking to people for a long time about all of the different ways that people get into it. And there's something really, I think, very beautiful about that. And it's affirming that every actor has their own process. Yeah, everyone is completely different. And I'm always intrigued to see, especially the the social aspect of being a performer. You know, I I was 
shy. I was overweight. I was really, you know, chunky for most of my young adult life. So I used, you know, performances that I can emulate and memorize and essentially idolize as a way of breaking the ice through conversation, feeling, you know, really bad about where I was. So, you know, you brought into uh, the conversation, you know, the idea of acknowledging social structure and developing social skills through performance. Uh, did that have any sort of impact on your childhood itself as far as, you know, maybe you were also shy or maybe you weren't sure how to talk to certain, you know, groups of kids in, you know, the same class as you without, you know, pulling out a reference or giving some sort of like performative uh, facade? Was there anything like that that came about in your teen years? Absolutely, because we imitate before we're able to fully understand it. But I, I had that curiosity about people that I was also simultaneously scared about, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, s sometimes you can go into repetition and I have some friends from high school who still pull out like quotes and lines from high school. And I'm like, oh yes, that, that was such an important part of my life at that point. But then as a performer, you get to start to play with it and mold it. Mm -hmm. And especially as, as an improviser, you get to cre create the words you're performing as they're coming out of your mouth. Um, so I always say as an improviser, you're kind of like an actor, writer, and director all at the same time with no preparation. But improv approaches the joke differently than say stand-up because improv is about the discovery of the joke while stand-up is about the best way to tell the joke. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh my God. You're giving me flashbacks to my first improv class. <laughs> oh, yeah? That yeah. My teacher said the exact same thing. And it's just, I don't know, it's always cool seeing someone grow up in, you know, theater, in improv, being on stage and having that sense of performance. But you've really carved out a niche for yourself in film and television. I mean, what was your first project you had in film or, or TV? Like, was that something you had in mind at, at one point or was it just sort of happenstance? So Vancouver is also known as Hollywood North. And I knew when I was moving here that there would be a lot more film and TV. Mm. Uh, I really love theater because theater has a rehearsal process and you get to play the entire character arc from beginning to end, performance by performance. Uh, and film is just a different distribution model Really, um, uh, I know you haven't done much theater, but uh, in right before performances, when you get into the theater itself, you go through Q to Q or the tech week, which is where all of the lighting and sound cues get put in there. And Q to Q is specifically running each lighting and sound cue in order in a like truncated version of the show to make sure that all of the technical stuff works perfectly. Um, for when you do need to do the entire thing all together. And I had a friend named Adam Cope who said one of the most intelligent things about film um, and the difference between theater and film, which is that doing film is like just doing the cue to cue in theater, except it never ends. And then a year later, you get to see yourself do a thing. <laughs> it's so much less about the rehearsal and the performance uh, of it, like really leading up to it. And in film, you get multiple takes at a different at each scene. You get different runs at it that can give different things, and then it all gets put together in the editing room. And just because film has a different distribution model than theater, um, they've really shortened that rehearsal process as much as they possibly can. <laughs> um, but there's still something really interesting in that. And it means that as an actor, you need to come into the character with all of your homework done, basically. You need to know on your end exactly what you're doing in this scene so that when you work with the other person who's done their homework, uh, you can build that together very quickly um, rather than discovering it in the room with the director as part of a rehearsal process in theater. Yeah. Uh, and there's something that's very cool about that and that's very affirming based on the amount of improv training that I have because of how fast you need to make those decisions. <laughs> and improv is really good at giving yourself that imagination to go off of and understanding story structure so that you 
know your purpose in this scene and then can play within that. And that actually really helps segue wise into this, this question I just thought of, which is transferring everything you just said into your first on-screen role when you hadn't really been on camera on a you know professional set, whether it's union or non-union, but realizing that you had to have all that homework done for your first on-screen role, was that something you had figured out afterwards or was that something you already prepped to do, you know, hour one on set that you had your character finished? Oh, it's absolutely a learning process. <laughs> uh, you're, there's so many differences between film and theater. Uh, I'd had a lot of experience and training with theater in Edmonton and then coming to Vancouver. Um, I, I did a little bit of a short film and maybe some sketch comedy mm -hmm. in Edmonton that, that was filmed. But I'd say my first uh, role in earnest in Vancouver was on a show called King and Maxwell. And it was a non-speaking part where I had to walk through the crowd and shoot the president, um, which is cool. And I did as much preparation as possible, but there's so much you don't know until you get there. You don't know the route you're going to take. You don't know the size of the auditorium. You don't know uh, where everyone is going to be positioned. You don't know the timing of what they want you to do. Um, so in that regard, you need to be a little bit of a blank slate for them, uh, for that. Um, but then when I got, uh, my first speaking role, which was as a, a spooky nurse, nurse, <laughs> Gro nurse Grot in Spooksville, um, uh, I had lines in that as well. And I, I took all of my theater training and I, uh, did as much work as possible before getting in on the day. And I think that translated with the performance. And I mean, speaking of creepy roles, because I, I, have, I haven't seen Spooksville. Um, I've seen, you know, a plethora of your other work, uh, including a small video you did called uh, Cracklemore, which <laughs> I'm not sure if you remember it. Uh, that was, was for Sin Peaks. Yes. <laughs> so one of our seasons of Sin Peaks was in yeah. a trailer park. Uh, and oh. so I was playing a white rapper in the trailer park, <laughs> a la J-Rock from the Trailer Park Boys, which is a Canadian show up here. Yeah. Um, uh, and I named him Cracklemore. <laughs> and that was a personal challenge to myself to rap, to improvised rap during episodes and of the show. So you were improvising as you were rapping. That wasn't yes. something... Good Lord, man. Can you be the Weird Al of rap music? You can, but I'd say that's already Reggie Watts. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> well, I, I had to bring that up because it's one of those videos that I think it had come across, um, you know, well before I'd reached out and it was always something that really, you know, just <laughs> for lack of uh, a pun um, or I guess a non-purposeful pun cracked me up. Uh, it, it was just a lot of fun, but I had initially seen you in, uh, the strain. I was a huge fan of the novels and I had, you know, seen you, uh, I think it was like five episodes of the first season and every single episode, you just added so much more to the character layer upon layer, uh, you know, not just due to the makeup, but also, you know, due to what you were building and it was innately creepy and just uh, it, it was very tragic, you know, seeing that. So I can see the the theatrical approach to it, along with, you know, you're just having fun for I'm sorry, listeners for spoilers, but playing somebody who's literally turning into a monster in one of my my favorite sequences. So, uh, I mean, with the strain, not to <laughs> to give you a very long winded question, what was your sort of process like joining the strain, that audition process? Or was it an offer only like at that point, had you really developed a reputation for yourself as a performer or were you still auditioning to get that part? So this was an atypical casting process for sure. Um, uh, it was a, a self-tape uh, of the character. Um, it was, I think, probably the second piece that I auditioned for. Um, I was with my agent, who I'm still with now, Esther Cohen, uh, and... 
I was one of her first clients. So both of us were a little bit untested at that point. Um, but I, she saw an audition for this character who was a scrawny kind of creepy nerdy guy who gets turned into a vampire. And uh, I recorded the audition and submitted. And then we didn't hear anything for about a month, a month and a half. Uh, and then uh, they came back with the offer for the role, which filmed in Toronto. I'm in Vancouver. They're in Toronto. They asked if I could apply as a local. This was the second thing that I had ever auditioned for. And the the third thing that I ever filmed. <laughs> So I said, yes, I will apply as a local. (laughs) That seems like a good idea. Uh, And then I flew out there in September, stayed for uh, the about six months of of filming those five episodes that I was contracted out for. Um, I stayed with some friends in the improv community, um, you know, couch surfed as much as possible. Oh, good. (laughs) Um, It's good to have connections. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and I remember doing a lot of homework for that character, reading the books, um, finding uh, a music choice that really associated myself with that character. I ended up going with a a Massive Attack song called What Your Soul Sings to You, because Massive Attack is really good music to get paranoid to. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're playing someone who is slowly but surely turning into a mindless Nosferatu-like vampire, <laughs> that's something that evokes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, I, I, I learned a lot uh, while filming that and while watching my performance. That really stuck in my head, the difference between film and TV uh, in terms of the size of your performance, because for any theater, even if it's a 30 seat theater, you still need to be able to fill a room with your performance. If it's a 500 seat theater, you need to just fill a larger room. But for film and TV, you only need to fill something that's uh, uh, about as big as somebody having a conversation with you a little bit too close to your face. So you really don't need to do a lot at all. Yeah, it's uh, I've heard that from a lot of my theater friends who make the switch over, and then sometimes the directors will say, "Make it, can you make it smaller? <laughs> you're you're being a little too broad, being a little too too intense." And I can see that in your performance because I'm rewatching the strain now. I haven't seen it probably since it came out. Mm. Uh, so rewatching it and noticing those little nuances you add to the character, especially when things start to feel a little painful you know it's you can see that almost like that caged animal coming out so i one i can't believe you worked as a local for that that you know that's really eye-opening for the listeners especially to know like even if you are recurring for a tv show it's not to say they're going to put you up in an apartment and you know pay for your transportation uh anywhere they can save money essentially uh but also the fact that that was your your third thing you've ever filmed is amazing (laughs) it was very lucky i am very lucky and have been lucky multiple times in my career uh one of the best ways that i've heard to talk about acting i I love telling my own stories but sometimes someone else has one that's better uh (laughs) neil patrick harris told a story in an interview that i was listening to once about how when he was playing doogie hauser kind of like right at the beginning one of the other actors on set uh, took him and his mom out for supper uh, and to just talk about the business, especially as like, you know, a child actor, you want to be able to take care of those people. Um, and he he said a metaphor that really stuck with me, which is that uh, the acting industry is like surfing because you'll catch a wave and you'll ride it as long as you can, but eventually that wave will crash and then you got to paddle out and try to catch the next wave. And sometimes you'll see your friends catching waves and sometimes you'll catch a wave and it'll just fall immediately. (laughs) Um, But as long as you get out there and you're ready for any of those waves or opportunities to like come along, then you'll set yourself up for a, a long career in this industry. I've never heard that. 
but that is an amazing way of describing it. Like that's, it probably hits harder than anything else I've, I've read because yeah, it, most of my friends right now are crashing and they're feeling really, really down. And then I have a few that are still surfing. So it, it's no matter what, we all have to, you know, continue to support each other. It's not necessarily a, a competition. It's we're all artists. We all want to make art, you know, let's, <laughs> let's help support each other. Let's hold on to the boogie board for them while they get on, you know, like, let's just, let's do so. That's, um, that really hits hard, especially for, for me right now. So I appreciate you sharing that because everyone's story is different. And I mean, especially yours. You know, yeah. You said, you know, you, you got very lucky, but you also have this sort of, this innate talent to create empathy for your characters. Even if you are being sinister, you know, you have this very dynamic uh, face that you can utilize for a myriad of characters. I mean, you've been in you know, Supernatural, Snowpiercer, The Magicians, uh, the Day of the Dead series, and you're just constantly adding these these new characters to the point where I almost want to ask if you would label yourself as a character actor, or or do you just consider yourself uh, an actor? And you know, as long as you fulfill the role, that's what's most important. I would consider myself a character actor. Yeah. I think it is important to find that distinction for yourself, if because the the industry of Hollywood is at this point uh, like well-oiled machine and there's people looking for certain things and they're looking for the next thing. And there's a, a kind of social contract about what certain jobs look like. And so when being cast, actors will be cast as those roles. I've heard of guys who just like, they get cast as cops all the time. They're just a cop. They have resting cop face. That's it. <laughs> and uh, that's a little bit of that like typecasting energy. And sometimes they're able to branch out of it, especially if they make their own work. Um, I'd say that I have specific hits that, that I call it. Um, I, I play a lot of henchman characters uh, and prosthetics characters. Um, I also play a lot of nerdy characters and spooky characters. Yeah. And in particular, I play a lot of coroners um, because I think coroners are right in the middle of that spooky and nerdy Venn diagram. Because coroners really are just spooky nerds, you know? You gotta yeah. be nerdy to get into med school and you gotta be spooky to work with dead bodies. <laughs> that makes complete, I'm not sure if you have seen the, uh, this is a horrible tangent, but there's a TV show called The League and one of the you know rising stars in Denis uh, Villeneuve's and James Gunn's cinematic universe, uh, <laughs> Dave Desmolchin, I think I'm I'm saying it right. Uh, he was a a coroner in the league who was you know this kind of like nerdy and spooky character. And boom, look look what's happened. Same thing with you. It's just that uh, your role in Upload alone, you know, <laughs> there's there's all these different facets to it. So yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know. That's just funny to think about because now whenever I, I meet a coroner, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so what else are you into? What, what, what's going on? But um, uh, this is a, a weird, you know, way of pivoting this episode, but this is an episode um, really surrounding, you know, like the horror genre, you know, October spooky season. And uh, it's my favorite time of the year. We've had a, a bunch of amazing guests, including yourself on the show. And the new question I've added in is if you're a fan of the horror genre, a lot of people I've talked to aren't necessarily fans of scary films or, or horror films in general. So are you a fan of horror movies? If you say no, I won't be offended. I promise. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, <laughs> I, I'd say that I'm, I'm more a fan of like the twilight zone, psychological thriller, mm. like the twilight zone, twilight zone is definitely horror. So I would say yes, but more than the, gory stuff or the slasher films i like the psychological twisting stuff um i was part of an improvised twilight zone show for uh a number of years as well <laughs> so and that was very interesting to be able to wrap your head around the kinds of twists that they make in those shows that have their own unique perspective on showcasing humanity um I guess personally in the career that I build for myself, I'm more of a comedian, more of a comedy actor. 
Um, but I also think that comedy and horror are kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, they're both surprises. They're both shifts in expectation. Uh, and the main difference is how much you empathize with the person that that shift in ha expectation is happening to and whether or not that thing is good or bad. Yeah. Um, I, I often say my like go-to example for this is a guy falling down a manhole cover because that could be either comedy or horror. It's horror if you get to see it. Like you, his jaw smacks the pavement, he pitches his head back and <laughs> cracks against the bars and he tumbles forward, splashing into the dark, dark, gruesome sewer water where he lays still. That's horror. That's horror right there. Um, but it's automatically funny if instead of that, before he falls down the sewer, he's just like, ha ha, money. <laughs> it, same situation, but it becomes comedy at that point. Um, so it's about that, that lens. And I think the tipping point is empathy, is how much you empathize with the person and whether or not the thing that's happening to them, the surprise is a good thing or a bad thing. Because we hate having bad things happen to good people. Yes. That, yeah. that makes it horrific for us. Um, it's, it's against how we think the world should be. But if a vil something horrible happens to a villain, uh, we, we can align with it, it a little bit better. And if something you know, good happens to someone good, that aligns with our values as well. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to be able to scrub that image of somebody just having the most gruesome injuries, <laughs> falling down a manhole cover. This is a <laughs> horror podcast, isn't it? Yeah, oh, I played. <laughs> I, I played five different coroners throughout the course of my uh, film career. I could make a demo reel of just coroners if I wanted to do that. Holy sh five coroners? Like coroners and undertakers and spooky yeah. medical professionals, yes. <laughs> now with that with that being said, within the horror genre, what other type of role would you love to uh fulfill that's not a coroner or an undertaker? Oh, probably like a big prosthetics monster. Ooh, that would be fun. Like I, I've been zombies before in both Day of the Dead uh, and I Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's a little bit of a different vibe. But um, yeah, something like the alien from Aliens, you know, uh, and an iconic movie monster would I think be very cool. Because um, prosthetics is wild. I have a lot of respect for uh, the prosthetics makeup artists and, and how they develop their stuff and how they mold it onto oh it's so cool have you ever done prosthetics uh very minimally like non okay. independent alien feature where you know you're you're getting burned or bitten or something but mm. I, the same thing i would love to play i've done motion capture which is great but i would love to be placed within you know like three inches of thick foam and latex you know <laughs> and having to instill a performance through that i mean you don't have to to name names but have you auditioned for anything like that or is it something your agent uh is keeping you in mind for uh well i've played probably the most prosthetics that i've ever gotten into was um for supergirl i'm actually i'm actually wearing the shirt right now are you for our listening audience <laughs> who can see <laughs> with their ears what's what i'm wearing this is a, a t-shirt of kevin smith holding supergirl in the iconic oh my god that's awesome the iconic uh crisis on infinite earths um and on the back it says i went to space with kevin smith and supergirl season two episode nine. <laughs> oh, that's awesome um, and in that episode, I played an alien named Jogenrath, who um, was uh, like full Star Trek alien prosthetics makeup uh, in the bottom of a rainy quarry in Vancouver. It was wild. <laughs> oh, man. I see. I've never seen Supergirl. I need to check that out. <laughs> mm, yeah, it was it was very cool. Uh, I'm. I, I when I got the character. uh one of the lessons that I've learned as a Vancouver actor, um, 
very happy to be playing named characters like Dr. Curdle Jr. and stuff. But in that middle bit where you're still getting known by casting directors and making a name for yourself, mm -hmm. I noticed that I was auditioning and getting a lot of parts that were less like named characters and more description jobs, you know, like a sassy barista. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> um, back to back, I got cast as a squirrely zombie in iZombie and an ominous fairy in The Magicians. And I actually found that really helpful yeah. to get that description and job because and then I could just like break the role down and be like, oh, what's a zombie? Zombies are mindless. They eat things. In the lore of iZombie, they actually can talk uh, and and communicate and be in society. But I know hunger is still like the important part of zombie. Um, and what do I know about Squirrely? I know Steve Buscemi in Escape from L.A. Because <laughs> that's the squirreliest <laughs> that Steve Buscemi has been when he's playing Map to the Stars Eddie in Escape from L.A. And, you know, you take those two things and you put them together and, and enmesh that in your performance. And yeah. I did something pretty similar for Supergirl because uh, this character was kind of like a, a good guy alien um, kind of like an animal sidekick kind of thing. Oh, um, okay. So I was like, oh, okay, an adorable alien animal sidekick. For animal sidekick, I went for Snarf from Thundercats. <laughs> and for adorable alien, I went with Bjork from Iceland. Oh, no way. Because of that, that video of her explaining how TV works is just such, yes. such a beautiful... <laughs> like endearing piece of media that I wanted to reference with this character. Um, oh, wow. That's a very, you know, if only they would add more words to some of the roles they have in the States. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> to describe. It's helpful. Yeah. It's, helpful. it's work that you can still do as an actor yeah. um, yourself, but uh, uh, as just getting a role and seeing sassy barista you're like oh okay i know how to do the work for this <laughs> that yeah that i don't think we have a whole lot at least from what i've seen we don't have a whole lot of that here i mean it's mainly just if you're an employee you're an employee and then you know whatever you bring maybe they'll like it maybe they won't but uh yeah having something like sassy barista come through has to be you know, it has to boost you up a few notches in your research for the character you want to portray or that you think they're looking for. Uh, that Wow, that's just really cool. So when was your, uh, I guess with that being said, what was your first job where you're, actually, no, I, why would I ask that? We already talked about it. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> where your character actually had a name and not just da 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 But, you know, we're going to ask that because I've had too much coffee today and this episode is going to go off the rails. Um, let's move into then, you know, with the horror genre and all of your, your roles that you fulfilled. Now that, you know, you have really developed this amazing career, what do you want to do next? Uh, in the next five years, obviously we can't plan it, as you mentioned before. This is like surfing, so you're just going with it. But uh, what is, you know, something you'd like to do in the next five years for your career for yourself? Uh, I'm looking forward to doing some of my own work. Uh, I mean, post-COVID, getting back into the improv community in Vancouver here and hopefully posting some stuff online. Uh, I can say, even though I'm still working on it, that uh, I've been developing a Dungeons and Dragons sketch comedy show that I'm going to put on YouTube. Oh my! Okay, I got it. I got it. I'm sorry, I nerded out for a second. Great. When? <laughs> when do you think that is going to be up and ready to to view? Ballpark, because you still have to do all the stuff. But <laughs> I, I've been doing a lot of work over COVID. It's okay. one of my COVID projects. Uh, I've done a lot of recording myself and gotten a lot of very talented friends to join me as well. Um, I'm hoping to get episodes up, uh, hopefully by the beginning of 2023. Um, oh, I still so need to do some of the 
principal photography. And stuff like <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but it's... No, 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 no. We, we can't ex- spoil. I'm excited for this personal project because it's important to have something that you're working on that still helps you flex those acting muscles when you do have so little control over uh, getting cast in things. Yeah. Well, then adding on to that, uh, there was a previous guest I had on who uh, reframed this question and I really appreciated how she, you know, thought it should be reframed. And it was less so, you know, what you do to relax outside of the industry and more so what gives you passion outside of the entertainment industry? What fulfills that, you know, that human need to just exist and, and balance? What, what else do you do outside of everything? Um, I've gotten more into cooking since COVID, at least. Uh, and I really do love hosting, getting games nights. Um, I've gone to a couple of uh, board game conventions this year as well. Shucks, the Shut Up and Sit Down convention in Vancouver is very, very cool. Um, and, you know, I also just got a Steam Deck. So there's stuff's happening. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I got stuff going on. I can play games. But I do love ho- cooking and hosting um, meals and, and board game gatherings. Um, yeah. Over COVID, my partner and I had uh, another couple who were friends with that we were playing legacy board games with. Uh, legacy board games um, are games that you can play multiple times to kind of tell an overarching story, like Risk Legacy or Pandemic Legacy, which is what happened when the pandemic hit. <laughs> so it was a little real for a while. Um and uh hosting them and having them host us and uh being able to cook food because cooking is an art form as well i think my my definition of art is anything that you can do that requires skill and can be infused with your own personality so acting is definitely that (laughs) dancing singing cooking art is an art you know um but also so is uh sports i think there's a lot of people who like great athletes who have a tremendous amount of skill and they play based on their own personality and any fan of that sporting team would be able to tell you um (laughs) running a business as well it's all there's there's a lot of art in the world that isn't necessarily given uh, the focus that it could. I think streaming is a very new and very interesting art form. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're sharing an experience, you're sharing discovery kind of in the same way as improv. You're sharing the discovery of moments with an audience, which is really neat. Yeah. It's kind of insane how far we've come digitally in the last i'd say even five years when it comes to streaming and i I had no idea what twitch was until you know maybe mid-pandemic and realizing people were making money off of just sitting there and having an experience Uh, having some authentic human connection with people because that's that's what we're craving it's so cool yeah and you know what i I'm really curious because I know you have to have something in, you know, your, your career uh, that you can look back on, but I'm wondering if you have a party story you could share with our listeners. Uh, This question, not necessarily, you know, being about something that happened at a party, but an experience in your career that stands out so immensely. It could be funny. It could be really tragic. Hopefully not. Uh, It could be just (laughs) rather insane that sticks out to you so well. You could easily, uh, just tell it back to your friends at a party at any given time. Right, a party story. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. There's oh, there's so much that happens in film, and you're you know around celebrities, so everything is uh, uh, enhanced. Um. I'd say oh, I already talked a little bit about iZombie, so this flows well. So in iZombie, and when I'm playing the squirrely zombie, um. I get on set and I go through uh, hair and makeup and I get my costume on and everything's totally fine. Everyone's super nice. Um, And uh, everything's going smoothly. And then I 
get to set as this squirrely zombie to uh, talk with the director and kind of go through our first rehearsal of how the scene's going to go. And uh, the director's finishing up at the previous scene, turns around and he looks at me and he's like, ah, squirrely zombie, huh? Ah, your, your hair is all wrong. It's, it's got to be uh, messier, dirtier. And, and your makeup, you got to have you gotta more messy dirt on your makeup. And, and what are you wearing? And I was like, is, is the actor okay? Like, just, he was just going down the list. And, and then uh, everyone else was like, this is what we talked about. What is going? And they, they rushed me off and were like, okay. And they rushed me off. And I went back into the makeup chair and I had six people working on me at once. Like two working my hair and two people on my face doing my makeup and two people uh, mending and altering my costume. Uh, it was hectic. <laughs> <laughs> How did the final product come out? Did you go back out and the director said, okay, looks great. Let's go. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay, and you know, we filmed the scene and uh, it made it to camera. So, you know, all's, all's well that ends well. Oh my God. Talk about a moment where, you know, that actor part of you comes out where you're going, Oh, did I do something wrong? Is it, a, what, what, what can I do? What can, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're just looking at someone and you being like, no, 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 <laughs> this is all wrong. You know what? Just fire this person. <laughs> I'm glad that didn't happen though. Oh my God. I got like the anxiety switch just thinking about that. You know, <laughs> anytime something goes wrong on set it has nothing to do with you but you you just you absorb it so that that absolutely works <laughs> I, I always feel like even when you know the shot is about me or the scene is about my character i always feel like the smallest cog in the machine whenever <laughs> i'm on set it's wild yeah like all right we're ready for your coverage are you sure do you still want that like I'm, I'm, I'm good with just being over here if that's what you guys want <laughs> <laughs> well that actually that adds perfectly into one of the last questions I have for you, and it's uh, if you have a piece of advice you could instill upon our listeners that you've maybe held on to throughout your career. It could be something that can pertain to somebody who's just starting out or someone who's trying to keep going as we are sort of kind of coming out of a, a pandemic uh, <laughs> within the industry itself. Uh, do you have anything you could share? Yeah, definitely. Um I'd say uh, some some real practical advice would be because I came through theater and that's a lot of what I know, I'd like to talk about some of the values that theater has for me now as a film actor, because I went to university, uh, the University of Alberta for the BA drama program and the BFA acting program. And that's where I kind of got my reps in which is ultimately the theme of this advice, get your reps in. Um, I was doing so much <laughs> all the time. I was doing a weekly improv show and classes and then scenes outside of those classes for those classes and then scenes for other people's classes. Uh, I maxed out at doing 11 extracurricular activities at one point. And I'm one of the people who went into the BFA acting program, the specialized program to slow down. <laughs> um, oh my God. But what's so good about that time, looking back on it, was that I really did get my reps in. And with theater, um, that work that I did now exists in people's memory. Um, the really cool stuff that I did and the stuff that I kind of flubbed um, or the stuff that I tried that didn't quite work, the experimental stuff that I worked on and learned a little bit from, um, all of those things that I did, I would take a single moment from each of those pieces and I would distill that into learning about my process and using those reps to try as much as possible to learn what works and to get comfortable on stage being seen as a performer, um, because what people are looking for more than anything on film and TV is being comfortable being seen. And that's true in terms of being able to deliver lines and, you know, subtext and act well. Um, but it's also true of just like the human connection that people want to have from watching this kind of entertainment. So Theater was really good for me to get my reps. I don't know how I would 
necessarily feel if I had started just in film and knowing that all of that early experimental stuff was still out there somewhere. <laughs> My God. <laughs> but it let me try stuff. And now as a film actor, I've heard from some casting directors that they consider me the wild card when I walk in the room and that that kind of perspective of being able to try something different and try something that is still honest to me, uh, but is different than what anyone else will bring to the table um, is my kind of superpower here as an actor. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say so just seeing your previous work in the wild, you being labeled as a wild card is the most accurate description I could ever think of. for you. Hey, thank you. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. Most of us are just going to walk right out. Like I don't, he's, he's got something. He's got something going on. <laughs> yeah. But as long as it's honest and authentic yeah. um, and, and different, then it'll read to the audience. One of my, uh, I, I can see how I got this reputation. Because here's another pretty practical example of stuff that I've, my way of thinking when approaching acting, because we've all heard the phrase, there's no small parts, only small actors. Yeah. That's not necessarily true. <laughs> there are some <laughs> sm parts that are smaller than others. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't have fun with it. Because uh, when I was just after university, I got called back to do a show. They were doing a production of Nicholas Nickleby, um, which is, there are a hundred different characters in that play. So they had to bring a bunch of people back and have everybody double up on roles, triple up. I, I think I had seven in this particular production. And, you know, they're not all going to be large and important. So one character I was playing was this innkeeper who uh, I just decided to, take largely as a reference from um, Terry Gilliam's Jailer in The Life of Brian, mm. because every actor has a different circle of reference. And this was one of mine. He just plays this like troll of a man who's like, Billy, hey, what's going on? That kind of a thing. Also, maybe some D&D &D was in there. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> but that was, that was the character. And I... He had a line at the beginning of the scene and a line at the end of the scene and otherwise just kind of like had to be in the background. And I was like, well, you know, I still want to do my, my homework. I still want to do my acting work. What's my character's objective? And I decided since it didn't have any bearing on the trajectory of the scene, that my character's objective would be to search for gold. And so he spent the scene kind of like picking up glasses and, and, pretending to wipe down tables and like knocking on pillars and stuff like that. And because that I thought would read to an audience as busy work, but it was also interesting enough that it would get me excited about playing this character every time I came to the scene, because I had built an entire narrative for myself as the given circumstances for this character uh, in that, you know, in another part of the inn, there was another guy who was ringing up a really big tab and my innkeeper was just like, hey, you pay. And then the guy was like, well, I could pay or I could tell you why I'm here. Or you see, uh, I have been searching for a leprechaun who I believe has hidden his pot of gold in this We lost him. Oh, you we got dropped. <laughs> no, you're good. I was like, oh no, oh no, it's getting crazy. Uh, I get <laughs> sorry, I'm marking that off. Um, okay, so that was the most inopportune cutout. <laughs> That's okay. Do you mind if I start from like the start of this guy's speech? Yes, yes, yes. Go to go to, and then I can just stitch it right together. <laughs> that sounds perfect. So he's like, uh, uh, you pay now. And this guy's like, um, well, I could pay, or I could tell you why I'm here. Or you see, I've been searching for a leprechaun who I believe is hidden as pot of gold in this very establishment. And I would have searched for it, but I've had so much fun. 
with the food and the drink that I, uh, I have plumb forgot. But I say that if you could find this pot of gold, that you could keep it all to yourself. But I must warn you, you must find it by the stroke of midnight or it'll disappear. And then my dumb innkeeper was like, duh, okay. And he spent the scene looking for a pot of gold. And all that to really showcase what it means to like, when people think of like your character should have a secret, right? Yeah. People think of the most, normally the most like mundane things like, oh, I, I have a pencil sticking into my shoe or, you know, like just something crazy. That is perfect to add on to because it, I'm sure it brought so much to your character that people were, were registering, but they couldn't put a, put a pin in it. They couldn't quite figure it out, uh, you know, to the, to the umph degree, but now it just makes me sad that I, I couldn't see this performance, you know, to just, to just, and also see you, you know, be seven characters. Hey, it's the beauty of theater. Um, <laughs> but that kind of work is something that I will bring into my film work all the time. Anytime that there's a character who has given circumstances that could be a little bit different, um, I won't necessarily play the scene like, the barista handing you the coffee it'll it's more interesting to me if it's about poisoning the king or what have you um because even though the audience doesn't know that they will pick up on something and i believe that it's your responsibility as an actor to be interesting to make interesting choices because we have at this point these like magic computers in our pockets that can take, we can watch anything we want. It's not even connected to a wall. It comes in from space. You can watch a dog playing basketball for free, just anywhere you want. <laughs> so if you have the audacity as a performer to ask people to consume your work or buy your movie or watch your play, then you have a responsibility to them to be more interesting than a dog playing basketball because they get that for free. <laughs> Can that be the title of your, your acting book? You may or may not write be more interesting than a dog playing basketball. <laughs> hey, maybe why not? <laughs> New York times bestseller. Uh, well, that, <laughs> that goes along really well with, uh, I like to promote things that uh, my guests really care about on the show and, it doesn't have to be a project, so to speak, although it could be something coming up. But if you also have uh, an organization or a charity you really believe in that we could share as well, do you have anything I can promote with this episode? You know what? I'm going to go back to my theme here and say local theater. Uh, I took a trip to Portland recently, and we just happened to be there on one of the days of the Portland Clown Festival. And oh we came in and saw a really beautiful clown piece. Um, so you know, it's out there. And these performers that do the work of performing in theater, um, supporting that work and their process allows them to practice more and uh, develop their process and their career for whether or not they want to transition into the world of film and TV, or if they want to stay in theater and enjoy that process and really build the local art scene of where you are no matter where you're listening to this there's there's going to be something happening that you can help support oh i i really appreciate that there's a lot of great local theater here in colorado that needs some further attention and portland i'm gonna have to keep my eye out for <laughs> that i've never seen a clown performance so uh that might be something i have to visit you know, in the next year or so. But no, I really appreciate you sharing that because there are a lot of incredible theatrical uh, performers who are just local and do it just because they love it that need that support. So I really appreciate you sharing that, man. Absolutely. I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the clown and mask work that I learned in university that helped make me the performer that I am today. <laughs> and that's something we're going to have to unpack <laughs> on another future episode, just the whole episode on, on clown and mask work. God, uh, I could do it. I could do it. <laughs> well, I, before we wrap up and we give our awkward goodbye, I just, Nicole, I want to say thank you for coming on to the show. This has been just a really fun, you know, like we were saying before, it's a fun informal chat, uh, just getting to know our guest and hearing more of your story. 
and I can't wait to see what you do next. Uh, I know you have some things coming up that uh, we won't talk about for NDA purposes, uh, but we will celebrate in promotional material when it comes out. So I just want to say really quick, thank you so much for your time and uh, joining me amidst our, our tech issues because Zoom is just sometimes it... It likes to, to twist the knife a little bit. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> but the last thing we're going to do is uh, what I like to call an awkward goodbye. So I'm going to give you a silent Wayne's World countdown. And when I point to you, if you could just give me your best verbal awkward goodbye, you think that'd be something you could you could improvise your way into? Absolutely. Go for All it. All right, buddy. Okay. Well, here we go in... See... <laughs> 